Happy holidays, everybody. Cheers. This is a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy New Year. Hanukkah to me. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Pretty close. Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. What else? Um, Happy holidays. I know. And and also... Winter solstice. I can't wait for a break. We've been... It's been been a long... We've been uh, going hard and... Yeah. It doesn't look like 2023 is going to be any easier. No, I know. We're going to be working all holiday, actually. But... uh, Yeah. So one of the things that, that you came up with an idea to talk about was, and, and this is so important because I hear it all the time, even though I'm not a lawyer, is um, this idea, so we're going we're gonna to call this Ode to a Lawyer, criminal <laughs> Ode to lawyer. A, a Criminal Defense Lawyer, yeah. which is a, a rare breed of the ones who are excellent, but um, <laughs> which you are one of. But uh, the reason that we should talk about it is because there's public perception of what lawyers do and and constantly we're being asked about ethics yeah it, it it's funny because in the last two three weeks we faced questions from different people in different circumstances asking or having general misconceptions about what our obligations are what we're supposed to do what's our role and then asking a question that i've always hated is how can you represent people who are guilty and it's like it's a whole we're going to answer There's that a and talk about of guilt it. yeah and, and but it it, it seems to be of you know, I'm 55 practicing 30 years and I'm still hearing this and, and coming from other I circles, you were 38. <laughs> it's, <I'm laughs> um, but you know, it's coming from other circles. I don't expect it to. And I, I think one of the things I wanted to talk about because the profession has, has changed over time as a criminal defense lawyer. And, you know, in the last decade, not to be a bit somber, but there's been some real, you know, warriors of criminal uh, law that have passed away and, mm-hmm. You know, Edward Greenspan, Jack Pankowski, Clayton Ruby, people I knew and grew up with, Richard Goldman, Joseph Cappy, Erwin Kozabrocki, Lou Silver, his son Markham, who was always great to me when I was a young lawyer, Marshall Sack, and, and so many others. And we don't mean not to name, there's tragically younger lawyers who passed away in the last year or two years. Um, and so it's very sad. But, you know, we, th- there was the, the days of, of criminal law and being a criminal defense lawyer as a calling it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, but you know, there, there was, you know, there was, you know, as, as, as we, as I grew up in criminal law, you know, you'd hear the stories from the lawyers who had been in it for a long time, and they were talking about, you know, work hard, play hard, but the fun of it, and and you're living mm-hmm. for the desire to be a defense lawyer. It takes passion. It takes passion. It takes commitment. It takes a true conviction to stay within it. Not 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 the not criminal an conviction. Actual conviction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And, you know, it's changed a bit. You know, it's changed in the sense that to some it's really a stepping stone to other things. Um, It's become very commercialized and it's confusing to the public when they're trying to find a criminal lawyer sometimes. And I just find palpably it's different. And I think also we've come under, you know, I'm sure there was plenty of attacks 25 years ago or 30 years ago. I don't really remember (laughs) that far back, But, but I've noticed a more palpable disregard and misconception about what we do and why we do it and 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 why do we defend anybody what why do we that do that's because the public gets their information about court cases from the media and it's sensationalized i think is is part of it so unless you actually go into a court and you see all these wrongful convictions and things like that but you go ahead but i'm just going to ask you to say this and and to talk about it but let's set it up this way let's leave out wrongful convictions or proper convictions or whatever let's just talk about the basic right in a democracy to have a defense. And why, why it's important. And why for the state to bear the onus of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Because I always say that 
the criminal justice system and the right to a vigorous defense is a crucible of a democratic process. Mm -hmm. Liam? Uh, so that, that's a very uh, well-spoken way of putting it, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to top it. Um, but how I, how I look at it, why, why I do this is, I mean, there's a couple of like extraneous reasons. I, it's, a, it's a lot more fun uh, than civil litigation. But with respect to what, what Joe is getting at, the fact that it's this, uh, the, the criminal trial is this sort of crucible, this proving ground for a democracy. Um, the, the, the way that I look at it is that we're not just there for the person that we're representing on any given day. We're there for everyone else. You know, our, our guy might be guilty as sin, um, but it's an unconstitutional search. Um, it's a flagrantly unconstitutional search. And if it gets in this time, then who's to say, like, next time it won't result in a wrongful conviction? Well, I have, like, pinned to the top of my Twitter, which I actually haven't been using Twitter for a while because, you know, it drives you crazy. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's not but I, I have pinned at the top is, like, uh, somebody else's rights are your rights, and that's mm -hmm. the reason you protect them. Mm -hmm. If you look around the world and mm -hmm. you look at history, one of the things you do if you want to take over a country and run an autocracy is to take away the rights of individuals against the state. Mm -hmm. First, let's kill all the lawyers. And let's eliminate the, let's eliminate the rule of law. And so this is, but it's, no, it's nothing to joke about. It's, it's, when people ask that question, how can you defend somebody? It's like, if we don't, we, we go down a very dangerous and dark path. And then, like, if we don't, who will? You know, like, Nobody. it's, it, it, we, we defend a lot of marginalized people, a lot of people who have been abandoned by every support system that they have, their families, their friends. Um, and, and a lot of the times, we're the only person that might be left in a given circumstance who's there to speak up for this person and make sure that their voice is heard in this unfamiliar, confusing, and Kafka-esque environment. An environment which almost nobody expects to find themselves in. I mean, there's certain mm -hmm. people who, with lifestyles or whatever, it's like you expect to encounter the law, but there's so many of our clients who mm -hmm. are just completely randomly find themselves in, engaged in this and had no idea what, how their rights were being eroded mm -hmm. and, and why it takes so long to get to trial. Yeah, but Anything, I, I still, right? I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm coming back to like fundamental basics, mm -hmm. which I, I guess I'm at the end of the year now, uh, having a hard time understanding why some of these people actually have this argument because it's not up to a individual lawyer to ever decide whether our client deserves a defense or not. Because you can imagine how arbitrary, mm -hmm. how that's ripe for abuse and prejudice based on all sorts of biases, et cetera, and how you can see that a system that would be geared towards not defending individuals because we presume guilt would be incredibly oppressive. Yeah. And you see sham trials in Russia, sham trials in Iran right now, with protesters being convicted of offenses and hung 21 days later. You see these closed societies and you thank God that we live in democracies that we do uh, so that we have this rule of law and we have lawyers who defend people. I just I just don't understand the argument. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know why I'm facing it increasingly <laughs> like these days. It just is it's shocking to me. I mean, b b unfortunately, like no one 
ever thinks that they're going to end up in our office until they do. Yeah, then they appreciate we're there. Exactly. You know, like a lot of people think that we're just, you know, we're... And, I mean, I obviously don't think this, but, like, that we're parasites, we're only in it for the money, and, like, we'll sell our grandmother if If I was in it for the money, I'd be a tax lawyer. I I actually printed out, this is one of the things that crossed my mind. No, we're going to talk about this. Is like all these dead lawyer jokes, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like the, the one everybody knows off the top is, you know, what, what do you call 10 lawyers, um, you know, chained to the bottom of the ocean or whatever. A good start. <laughs> um, these jokes all exist for a reason because people have a, this misperception of what lawyers actually do, why things take so long. It's like they actually think we're intentionally making cases drag out. First of all, look. To make we, money. Humor, <laughs> humor is a good thing. And we all have to laugh at who we are or what we do and not take anything too seriously. So, And yeah, I, I those, don't know if anybody can see this, to... but this is, I love this cartoon. Um, it's a, a dog and the look on his face is precious. The lawyers are telling him, the prosecutor says you have to roll over. <laughs> and the look on his face is just like, that's humiliating. Um, <laughs> but but let me stop about our discussion about why trials run longer. Let, let's just talk about what I'm considering right now, an erosion of our defense bar. Mm-hmm. And, and one of this is, you know, first of all, those who need to avail themselves of legal aid. So we are seeing in Canada... A chronic, UK. yes, a chronic underfunding of the legal aid system, where people who are marginalized and don't have access to resources and don't have a voice need a lawyer, but can retain them on legal aid, so that they're able to choose their own lawyer and and have them paid on a legal aid certificate. It's chronically underfunded. In other words, the rates have not increased in a long time. And lawyers are finding it very hard to defend clients at such incredibly low rates. Mm-hmm. And as you said, this is a phenomenon happening across Canada. We see lawyers in other provinces like Quebec and Alberta crying out about it. And we see it in the UK. Been where going the, on for decades. Where there is almost the death of the criminal defense bar in the United Kingdom. And that is a very bad sign. The they went on strike and many are leaving the practice of criminal law because they can't make a living. And and that is well, and and the really cutoff for, scary. The cutoff for qualifying for legal aid is so low; it's like it's way below the um, minimum standard of living. If if your it, family of four makes about like you you have a family of four, so you a partner, two kids, if your net household income and hope I'm right about this, if your net hold, household income is thirty thousand dollars a year, you live in Toronto family of four government says you can retain private counsel yeah i mean i the th- you know I, I used to sit on the legal aid area committee and it, they've revamped the system but um I, i'm not sure exactly but the thresholds are very low so that your disposable income that's available allowing you to retain a lawyer is, is a pretty slim amount and mm-hmm. so that threshold is extremely low which means that we have more unrepresented accused in the court system which is not good for a functioning court system. If people complain about how justice is delayed, one of the best ways to do it is chronically underfund that system Mm -hmm. and underfund legal aid. Two is to then therefore jam the system with unrepresented people. And three is to create poor quality of legal services because some people may feel that they have to take on a whole mass of work in order to just survive. And even though they don't tend to do it, they just don't have the time necessary. And, um, they do the best they can. They but, do the best yeah. they can. And, and you know, but for the grace of God, go I. I mean, you know, as a young lawyer, if you've got tons of files and you're trying to make a living and some things slip through the cracks, although you're doing your absolute best, 
that's not good for a system. Right, and so, and that leads to another point. I really think the public does not understand the seriousness of taking away someone's liberty. No, they don't. I, they don't, and, and we've seen this before in the news where we were like, oh, that would just be like a timeout for this person. It's like, no, having your liberty taken away and being put in a cell, the conditions that people are, are, are in, like, it's, it's horrifying, even for a single day when somebody's detained <clears throat> waiting to get bail or something mm -hmm. like that. I've seen, you know, firemen break down in tears over being detained for a single day. It is not a timeout. It's it's a very serious thing. And and we've talked about this before, but when... But just, just think about being detained. What about press releases? Somebody's charged with an offense. May, you know, we don't know what their guilt or innocence is, but, but there's a press release. And then that's on social media and doesn't disappear, and then they can lose their job. Or if it's a certain type of offense, their bank accounts can be closed down. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, they cannot, they won't get hired. Now in the United States, if you have an outstanding charge, people are being denied entry to the United States, even though the rule of law says if you're, if you're only charged, you're innocent until proven guilty, but you can't go to the United States now, even though you may have business or work there. You could be an executive, you could be anybody. Yeah. You have family and you wanna go over. So the implications are far, far broader than just the physical liberty in a jail cell, it's your ability to earn a living. It's your ability to function. It could be your ability to have your own children mm -hmm. in your home. And it's yeah. the stigma too, you know? Like if, well, if you if you look at like some of these, uh, like unfortunately Toronto's seems to have had a bit of a, a, a raft of uh, specifically like TTC related incidents. Um, for anyone not in Toronto, that's the Toronto public transit system. And if you go on social media, Reddit, for instance, like you can see some of these people like in the comments saying like, oh, we should just start mass institutionalizing people again, which is, yeah. I don't know, not, not at least, at least in, my, in my humble opinion, um, returning to an era where we just took people with mental health issues um, that may drive them to potentially criminal behavior and mass institutionalizing them as, as sort of a preventative. Um, yeah. Well, look, you, you, you raise an excellent point because we've had a, a series of very horrible, tragic events where, where people have been killed and, and clearly some mental health issues are involved and we've just had it happen tragically, some in the last 48 hours and we've had some other things that are very serious. But let's look at that for one second. People just think it, it's, it's, it's the legal system. It's the chronic underfunding of healthcare. It's the chronic underfunding yeah. of mental health care, of, of being able to identify persons or families at risk, being able to have meaningful help for these people. And Christmas is actually a very difficult time for a lot of people, yeah. you know, for mental health reasons. We, we, you know, we if have alone, serious right? homelessness issue, yeah. which is combining people with mental health and other addiction issues. And we have chronic underfunding in these areas. And I'm not saying it's an easy job to figure out where you allocate money, because it's not. And our government certainly knows at every level how to waste money. But, but, but it's not just criminal justice. It's what we put into the resources that we have. It's into education. It's into after-school programs. It's into health care. It's into mental health care. It's in, it's in trying to be proactive and identifying people who need help. And we see how this plays out, but it's not about mass incarceration. It's going to help us. And here's something for those who are on the other side. If we have, you know, I think we have a few police officers who watch our podcast. They're chronically underfunded. There's a mass hiring for Toronto Police, OPP, and others. But they've been their budgets have been getting slimmer and slimmer. I remember seeing a sign actually uh, on a, a door for a, a law firm down the street that said, defund the police by 50%. <laughs> I was just like, 
how does this it seems arbitrary but yeah there's like a lot of that going on but you mentioned um the uh you know press releases that can be sent out one of the first things that comes to mind is that um, quite often these press releases are, are put out because they're looking for other uh, complainants. Not always, And though. to me, yeah. that yeah, not always. But to me, that, that's a real problem in terms of tainting, um, you know, other you know, complainants who might come forward. But we have a friend who who actually had a really great win in, in the Court of Appeal. And this, his, is a good, this is a good story. I know. And, and Nick, you know, Nick Zinnis. Yeah. Got a great case. I know. succeed in the Court of Appeal. With a great last name. <laughs> Exynos. If you can spell uh, it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and kudos to the Toronto Star because they, when he was first arrested and convicted uh, at trial, the Toronto Star had, had made this a really big public case. And then he's now been cleared um, on appeal. And and also kudos to the prosecutor who agreed with, uh, you know, that the conviction should be abandoned. And that does happen because... You know, everyone perceives prosecutors as like deals with the devil or things like that. There's so many good prosecutors out there who are actually legitimately concerned with the truth of, you know, whether or not a conviction is safe. So in this case, he was originally um, convicted of um, abducting somebody else's child and stealing all of the guy's money and leaving him homeless and all this other stuff while, while he absconded with the child and raised it as his own. And um, and as it turns out, when his the co-accused, the um, his wife was was being prosecuted, essentially the father recanted everything. And um, but there's a great quote from from Nick at the beginning: "Our justice system is not perfect. Everyone tries to do their best, but the fact is, it relies upon the testimony of individuals who are often either wrong or lying." And a combination of the two. It's very difficult to be sure when someone is actually telling the truth. And that's where we come in. And exactly. that's where and that's where proof <laughs> that's where this is at the crucible of a democratic process that you have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, presumption of innocence, mm-hmm. and the desire of all stakeholders and participants in the justice system to try and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And and I should say this as a caveat. When I talk about, you know, the erosion of the fence bar, I mean, if you look across the greater Toronto area, you know, we have a very strong, vibrant, dedicated defense bar mm-hmm. with truly talented individuals. And we've had the luck of working with a lot of very good prosecutors when we laid out our cases with them through memos, through reasonable prospect of conviction memos and that type of thing, they've withdrawn. But it's a difficult system and it takes commitment from the government to fund this system. Um, but you know, more importantly, when you hear a story like that, it's a great example of the importance of a vigorous defense Mm-hmm. Um, and and being very careful about witnesses say, yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, that's a perfect example of why we do what we do, and why when anybody asks that question, how can you represent somebody? We don't know they're guilty or not. Mm-hmm. You can't even mm-hmm. be sure of what witnesses are selling. You you you, you have to selling. You know, that mm-hmm. <laughs> slipped out. But you know, it's <laughs> true. You know, they're selling their story or they're telling the truth. Who knows? You've got to be so careful in this business. Mm-hmm. And, and just to like loop back a little bit, like a phrase that I feel like a lot of people hear a lot, but they don't necessarily know is just the whole beyond the reasonable doubt concept. You know, it's it, it's not enough that someone's probably guilty. Probably guilty is an acquittal. Um, But beyond the reasonable doubt, it means a lot more, and that's where we get into the law of evidence and how how does a judge or a jury get to the best place that they can 
in terms of assessing what really happened on a given occasion. And that's why all these rules of evidence are very important, why we have to be careful about not lowering that threshold in any given case. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I gotta say though- And not excluding relevant evidence. One of the concerning things for me in the public perception of, of what goes on in the courts is this um, beyond a reasonable doubt, which of course, as we've talked about why it's so important, but it, it needs to mean something when somebody's acquitted that it doesn't just come out like, oh, well, they failed to meet the burden of proof and that's what the justice system failed. When they just got off. When somebody's acquitted, they need to, it needs to mean something still. I mean, we, you know, I don't know how many episodes we've had so far. 74, 78, 79, I, I don't know. This is uh, 48. 48? <laughs> just kidding. Um, but, you know, well, including our shorts. But, you know, we keep talking about this over and over because we keep facing this over and over. That an acquittal does mean something. It means somebody's innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's appropriate, and that's what the system should be. You know, I know we talked about this, and we're going to slide into this in another podcast about, you know, technicalities about charter rights and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But an acquittal is an acquittal, and that's mm -hmm. what it should be. And proof beyond a reasonable doubt has to remain an extremely high burden. It does. Well, cheers. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yeah. And good festivities to everybody. And uh, I'm going to finish with one final yeah. lawyer joke. If you must. Okay. Keep in mind who you're talking to. Okay. Actually, I gotta get it, I gotta get it right. How many lawyer jokes are there anyway? I don't know. Only three. The rest are true stories. <laughs> That's cute. Look them up on the Law Society Tribunal website. Oh, uh, what do we say? Like, share, subscribe. And hit notifications. And hit notifications. Thank you to all our viewers and have happy holidays. <laughs>